Kick off your shoes. Sit back and find that gigantic stack of papers you've been meaning to grade. It's time for the new teacher hotline. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. Yes, let's get the started. The New Teacher Hotline, Episode 9, has spirit. <laughs> How about you? No, we don't want to sound the same every time. Hi, my name is Mike Kelly. I am the Director of Teacher Preparation at the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence, and I am sitting, as always, opposite the guru of teacher training. I guess that would be me. You were looking around. (laughs) I was wondering who you were talking about. (laughs) No, I have to talk nice about you when you're sitting here. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. After hours podcast. So I'm like, this is not going well at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we've got a couple of new things to talk about this week. Surprise. Good. And we have some more email to talk about. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to try a new segment this week. Oh, good. The Fatal Five. Lock the windows. And bolt the doors. It's time for The Fatal Five. What is The Fatal Five? The Fatal Five is, well, as I mentioned, a new segment for the podcast. Okay. (laughs) It's going to be a collection of five errors. The five errors that new teachers make or rookie teachers commonly oh, make. Oh my god! So these are the fatal five. Now these aren't oh, the only five. Yeah. But these are five that we thought about. The first fatal five. The first five we thought about. Okay. Not necessarily the worst uh, or the best. We're not working in any particular order. Mm-hmm. We'll just announce them sort of as they uh, come to us. Okay. So these are the ones that came to us this time. The fatal five. I like it. So here we go. Let's go. And this is going to sort of be rapid fire. We're going to spend only a minute or two on each one. I'm going to hit you with one. Okay. And then we're just going to talk about it real Ooh, fast. Okay. There's no lingering in the fatal five. That would be fatal. It would be. So. All right. It's just quick. Just quick. And maybe this will help spring out discussions for other okay. things. Okay. Are you ready? I don't know. Okay. Number one of the fatal five. <laughs> one of the five I most I think we should have practiced this first. <laughs> <laughs> the first on the fatal five. Not preparing enough. Oh. Where do you want to go with oh. this? There's lots of ways you can e- not prepare Either enough. way. Either way. Um, I'm going to guess the lesson content is probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that happened to me as a first year teacher. First day. In my case, I just didn't know how much to cover. In one case, uh, was well underprepared, and I had said and done everything I had planned to do, and we still had about 20 minutes left in the period. That's not good. <laughs> well, it didn't get any better either because I had, you know, six more classes to go through, and that's all I had prepared. So you had to fill in the time with like a soft shoe tap dance routine? And it was too early to give a quiz, so, uh, you know, we did a lot of standing around, and I did a lot of shuffling of my feet and trying to remember their names and was covered myself minutes? the best way I could and then uh, gave him some time to do nothing, which was a, another mistake. So if it's so, a 40-minute lesson normally, you could have just done it twice. Correct. Say, In case you weren't paying attention, <laughs> I'm going to redo the entire lesson. <laughs> I like what I did so well, I'm going to do it again. The important thing to remember here is that you can never over-prepare. If you prepare too much, you can always do it the next day. Right. But if you prepare too little, especially early on, there's not much you can do. There's only so many reviews you can do. If you set this standard where the last five minutes of class, I'm going to stop teaching five minutes before the end of class, and then we can just sort of review or kind of fill in that time, or that's your time to decompress you know, with students, then if the first day you don't give those five minutes, it's chaos. They will not expect to right. be learning after that period. And then if you let that slip a little bit, 
and then it becomes 10 minutes, and then suddenly you've got like a 10-minute time frame that kids are paying attention, and you've set up this expectation that you're not going to be teaching the whole period. Exactly, and that's a bad thing to do. So as part of the preparation for any teacher, they need to be whole period lessons where the students are actively engaged in something meaningful for the entire time. And that's the job of the teacher is to prepare accordingly. All right, we're going to move to number two on the Fatal Five. That's quick. Our very quick pace. Okay, go, go. Number two on the Fatal Five. Ooh. Being too friendly with your students too quickly. Ooh, ooh, that's another good one. There is an adage in teaching that there is uh, truth to, and that is don't smile before Christmas, Mm -hmm. especially your first year. Uh, It is important to start out gaining the respect of the students, and one way you do that is to act like a professional, uphold the rules of the class and the school, and be on top of everything. Right. Learn uh, the rules and enforce them accordingly. Now you may remember that from one of our previous shows. We talked about don't smile until December. That's right. It's a good idea, so we're using it again. Right. And, I mean, it's so important not to make that mistake. This is, I would argue, the most common mistake. Right. So in lieu of leaving it out of the Fatal Five, because it's fatal, it I want to make sure that we include it here. That's a good idea. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't mean to be you know a demeaning type person. It does mean let's hold off on getting too acquainted too soon. It's more important to establish yourself as the teacher than it is as the friend. Right. And once you are established as a teacher, you can become a friend. But it's almost impossible to do it the other way around. And that's you're, pro- you're right. That's probably the single most common mistake for new teachers is they try to be a friend first and a teacher second, and it just doesn't work. Right. You need that fallback. You do. Like if, if you're having trouble in class and you're having discipline issues and you're needing to be forceful about something, let's just say, you need to be able to fall back into that. Okay, look, when push comes to shove, I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. You've got to listen to me because we're not going to have this. And if you don't establish that first, then you can't fall back into a position where you are an authority. Whereas if you've already established that, you can be more friendly. And then as things degrade, the students can tell that it's getting back into the situation where you're going to have to assert yourself and they don't want that to happen. Nope. Nope, you're right. All right, well, let's move on to number three. Okay, three. On the fatal five. Okay. Pacing. Oh, yeah, that's hard. That's hard for a lot of people. This was my biggest weakness. Why don't you define what pacing is? Okay. How quickly you cover material in comparison with how quickly you're expected to cover the same material. Let's say that there's maybe a district-wide or a statewide exam, and these standards are to be met, so these different objectives all have to be taught. Say a quarter way through the year, you're maybe a fifth of the way through the objectives, and you're realizing, if I don't really speed things up, I'm never going to get through all this, and the kids aren't going to pass this test because we're never going to get to the topics. Right. One of the easiest ways of looking at pacing in a more global sense is exactly what you just said. I have to have this much content completed by this point in time because they're going to be taking a test. Okay, then you just work backwards from that. And that's not a bad way of doing it. The fine-tuning on that becomes, who am I teaching? What are the characteristics of the class? What is it that they need to know? And at what level can I deliver that? And then looking at the curriculum and the various topics that have to be covered, well, what's the best way to teach this? And then it's a matter of merging everything together. But pacing is also defined by how well the students are learning. So, right, you can't just keep going and barreling exactly. through if nobody's understanding what you're talking about. It doesn't do any good at the end of the year if the teacher is the only one who remembers the curriculum. What we typically insist on is that periodically there is some sort of an assessment. And the teacher, it's really more for the teacher than it is for the student. And in some cases they have more value as a formative than a summative assessment. 
In other words, I've taught this particular unit of content or curriculum. I need to find out if anybody remembers it or mm -hmm. can they use it or do they know what it means. So I'm going to give a test. And if they do, then great, keep going. If they don't, then I've got to loop back and do it again. And to some degree, you want that test to reach back and hit even some of those topics that you didn't cover recently. It could, yes, it should, because you don't want them to forget anything. And pacing is never an accident. You're never going to accidentally cover everything on time. You're right. You've got to at some point sit down, preferably at the beginning of the year, and say, let's just do a basic outline. Mm -hmm. I've got 15 chapters I need to cover. I have, let's say, 140 school days to do that. So... I have to have chapter one done in 140 divided by 15, chapter right. two done, you know, something like that. That's an interesting point because uh, most typical school years are somewhere around 180 student days or days. I was when, totally guessing. I guess wrong. Well, <laughs> no, actually, that's not a bad number because of the 180 days that students are supposed to be in the building. Remember, you have assemblies. Right. You have snow days. Snow days. <laughs> you know, typically, if you have 180 days, you really only have 150. That was a good guess then. The point is you don't have every day that you think you do. So you want to allow so for extra time. Allow extra time. And there's always going to be the concept that if you take another day, then they really get it. Well, you should. You take the extra day. Make sure they understand it before you move on. All right. Number four on the fatal five. Okay. Four of five. Dress and deportment. That's another good one. One of the things that I'm finding with a lot of the new teachers nowadays, especially the ones that are straight out of college, is they tend to look and act like college students. And when Which they, they just were. So that's yeah, what, that's what I, they know. Truthfully, that's where they just came from. You're right. But when they enter the building as a teacher and they're in front of the class and they still look like students, then it takes them a lot longer to gain the respect of the students, and sometimes they never do. Well, I think there's this, this perception that you want to be accepted and you want to be this teacher that kids can identify with. So you're not going to dress like, you know, you're an ancient teacher and wear a tweed three-piece suit with leather elbow patches. And mm -hmm. not the, I don't, do they make those? That uh, would be a weird thing to wear. Well, I have some. But <laughs> <laughs> in a tweed three-piece? I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> I don't think I have that. <laughs> <laughs> We've identified a hole in your wardrobe. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. uh, there are, well, there are a guess, number of them. They just want to be someone who, they want to be different. You know, they, come out of, well, they come out hyped up to be the super teacher, and they want to look completely different than everyone else. But the thing is, like what you were saying, the, the students have an expectation, and you're not going to raise up in their eyes by wearing jeans every day. I agree. Or sandals or, you know. The you don't have to dress like the uh, the older set, but on the other hand, you do have to dress as a professional. And wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and sandals just doesn't do it. And the students immediately classify you as well. Yeah, that person is a teacher, sort of, or maybe, but they sure don't look like one. Students expect teachers to be teachers. And they expect them to be role models. And there is a persona that goes with the profession. And, mm, yeah, maybe you've got a better idea, but maybe the first year isn't the best year to spring it on, you know, right. the society. It's <laughs> like don't smile till December. You want to keep, you yeah. got to be at least a little bit. Again, you don't have to dress like the older set, like I do, but you do need to dress like a professional. And that is important. All yeah. right, we're going to go on to the next topic for the Fatal Five. Okay. And the fifth topic, organization. Ooh. I think I've already said one of these was my weak point, but I think <laughs> this was weaker than the other weakness. Organization was a stinker. 
I was terrible at organization. Well, I, I think one one of the things that teachers learn right away if they're going to be successful, and that is to be organized. And I remember myself, uh, I think the first week of school, when I looked at my desk and there were piles and piles and piles of paper, and I had no idea what they were. They were just everywhere. <laughs> and, and I remember week two, a student came in, and I asked him for his homework. He said, I gave it to you. And I had, I had no idea where it was. And so I, I got lucky, and one of my fellow teachers said, you know, if you have little manila envelopes and you keep everything from first period in your first period envelope and everything in your second period envelope, then you can keep things more organized. And from that day on, that was the beginning of my organization. And I've expanded on it since then, but organization for new teachers is very important. Absolutely. I was actually the most organized my first year teaching because I was a floater. I know they call those different things in mm -hmm. different places, but I didn't have a classroom. I had a little audiovisual cart that I pushed around from classroom to classroom. I would teach in other teachers' classrooms when they were on their planning or lunch period. And that was when I was the most organized because I had no space. Right. I had barely enough space for my backpack and a, a set of folders, like a little kind of a parallel file that clips shut. And that's how I would have to carry everything. Everything I needed for the whole day, including all my tests and quizzes and handouts, all had to be organized in these folders. And then when I collected them, they all had to go back in. As soon as I got my first classroom, piles and piles and stacks of paper just right. it's just ridiculous. I had that luxury of space, and I abused it. Mm -hmm. So when I realized the best way I could stay organized was to pretend all I had was this tiny little cart to keep all my papers on, then that was better. And then I could use the rest of the space for important things like the supplies and activities and that sort of thing. Right. Well, another, another thing that helps with organization is to keep lesson plans organized. A lot of times it's, it's important to maybe even have a three-ring binder where you keep them and you can pull them out and put them back in and adjust them you know, year to year as, as needed. But if you don't know where they are or if they're all shuffled together and it's uh, hard to sort them out, then you know, it takes more time to find them than it does to recreate a new one. That seems so obvious. But I remember when I realized <laughs> that and thinking, wow, because my first two years I would do a lesson plan maybe on the back of a sheet of paper mm -hmm. and write everything out. And then I went back to the teacher the next year. I was like, well, what, what did I do? And I don't, I would just chuck it at the end of the period. I'm done with that. Boom. You know, I don't need that anymore. Right. I won't see you till next year. And then all of a sudden, here it is. I'm teaching next the same year. thing. <laughs> and what was that problem that I did? That was a good example. I wish I could have remembered that. And it's just useless to do everything a hundred times. Even mm -hmm. if you don't think you're going to do it the same way, just keep it so that you can at least build on it. And I know a number of teachers who have file cabinets. And within the file cabinet, they have things organized uh, either chronologically or conceptually so that they know where everything is at any point in time and they are extremely organized and you know what they end up doing half the work because it's already there they know how to access it i don't and understand never, those people yeah well they're never <laughs> caught off guard you know that lesson isn't working well okay let's go to the file cabinet and pull this one out it's really useful to be organized and each person has their own way of being organized but you're you're right a lack of organization first-year teacher just compounds the amount of time that you have to put into teaching. Oh, absolutely. That, that three-ring binder was the best thing for me. Yeah. I threw in the quizzes. I threw in the tests. And then mm -hmm. the next year, it was like, you know, I wouldn't use the same things, obviously, but I would have something to base it on so you, that I knew I was teaching the same thing from year right. to year. you got a place to start. Right. Exactly. All right. The final one. Oh, that was the final one in the Fatal Five. Oh, good. That was the fifth one. <laughs> We have exited the Fatal Five and lived to tell the tale. Oh, man. That's unusual for us. Yeah. So let's move on, I guess, to our listener mail. Okay. 
You've got mail. And listener mail this week comes from, let's find it here, is from Jamie. And Jamie okay. is from California. Oh, good. Hello, okay. Jamie. Jamie's probably warmer than we are. I'll bet. It's still miserable outside today. Yes. Just like our last time we recorded, once again, nasty, miserable, it's, rainy, it's raining. dreary weather. At least it's not thundering this time. No. So let's see. Jamie says, I have been a tutor for a long time, and I have moved into teaching recently. I know that lesson plans are something that people throw around a lot, but I don't really understand what makes up a good lesson plan. When I was tutoring, lesson planning meant this is what we're covering right now. <laughs> but what does it mean to construct a lesson plan for the classroom? So that's well, a great question. A great question because if you come from a substitute background or a tutoring background, sure. it's like, what are we doing? Fractions. Go. What are we doing? Mammals. Go. Page 19, then do the questions at the end. Yeah. There's no lesson plan to that. It's sort of like we'll work until we're done. There are three basic elements that go into every lesson plan. First of all, they all have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay, so I was going to be sarcastic and say, what, the beginning, the middle, and the end? That is. <laughs> that actually <laughs> well, are the that, three. That is. That's it. And the every top, le- the middle, and the bottom. Well, no. every, every lesson has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every lesson itself has to be aligned with the curriculum guide for that class or course or lesson or whatever. And I'm going to say that that's not always obvious because you might think it is. Don't assume that your textbook is the curriculum guide. Oh, it's not. The, cur- the curriculum guide is a separate document. And the textbook is one of your aids, one of your uh, references. So make sure that the lesson itself is aligned with the curriculum and aligned with the students who are sitting in front of you. But then it's a matter of, okay, we have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So what's the beginning? It's a very good place to start. It's a good place. <laughs> yeah, it is, <laughs> matter of fact. But this is, your op- this is the opportunity for the teacher, first of all, get the student's attention and get them employed into something meaningful that starts the lesson. What I say is the lesson starts when the child enters the room, not when the teacher begins the lesson. So the best way to do that is to have something for the student to do as they enter the room. So this is like those little quizzes they put up on the movie theater screens. Like before the movie starts, you walk in and here's an unscrambler. Who is this? Mott Hanks. What actor started in Forrest Gump? Yeah. Something like that. Something to keep you busy and involved. Before the actual feature. Exactly. And there's a a number of expressions for it, or the anticipatory set, or some people just call it a warm-up. The intent is to draw the student's attention, give them something to do, get them focused on something educational, and get them moving towards a lesson. Typically, these opening activities, or the beginning of the lesson, are anywhere from one to three minutes and are designed to give the teacher the time necessary to take attendance or any of the other clerical duties that you know teachers have to do. We actually did research one time about when most of the uh, student discipline problems occur, and we found that they occur at the beginning and at the end of the lesson. And in both cases, it's because the, there was nothing for the child to do. So they created their own fun. Mm-hmm. We found that when teachers were prepared and had opening activities, that the discipline problems just faded away. And, and the, the best ones of those are the ones that actually introduce something or get you thinking about something you're about to learn, I would think. They can do that, or they can review something that they've done previously, tie it together. So I'm going to segue into or out of something mm-hmm. then. Right. Now, and a lot of times the teachers will use those just to see if the child remembers what they've been covering for the past two or three days, and it's more of a summary question or summary activity. In other words, if you can do this, then I know you've already learned what we've talked about the last four or five days, and I feel free to move forward. Mm-hmm. If you can't answer it, then I've got to readjust today's lesson. So it's important to actually talk about the warm-up as opposed to simply say, 
Okay, now we're going to start and just ignore the whole mm-hmm. warm-up. It's got to be a part because I suppose otherwise the students aren't going to want to do it. After a while, they'll figure out it, it's meaningless and there's no reason for me to do it. I'm not going to get any credit for it, and, yeah, why do it? So, yes, it needs to be a part of the lesson. And, again, teachers can use it to introduce something new or they can review something that they've gone over the last couple of days or something that's emerged that day, something out of the news or the weather, whatever they want to do. Okay, so that's the beginning. Yeah. Now, the middle is the actual, what most people would call the teaching of the lesson. Mm -hmm. And, again, this is the part where the teacher has to decide what's the best way to reach the students. In other words, this is what I've got to teach. This is what the students have to learn. Now, what's the best way of doing it? It's important that the teacher have a bag of tricks. One of the easiest ways is simply to lecture. And, of course, that's uh, good for a certain number of minutes, but it's certainly not intended to be the whole period or uh, something that is the uh, default position. And lecture is not a blanket excuse just to stand up there. There are ways to deliver a lecture that are interesting and interactive. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you ever hear someone say, well, a lecture is how I have to do this, it's usually defensive because... It just means they're spouting stuff out. Exactly. So, again, it's up to the teacher to reach in the toolkit and find something that's going to work. And then it's a matter of making sure the kids are actually doing it and assessing to find out if, you know, it worked. You know, was this a good lesson? Did the students learn what I wanted them to learn? And that's all based on instructional delivery. You're mm-hmm. basically saying there's ways that you can deliver a lesson to make it interesting. Right. And we probably shouldn't go into too much detail on that because that sounds like a whole other topic. Yes, Ways to get, make things interactive. It is. So we'll yeah. try to stick to the overall, like, what pieces make up a lesson yeah. plan. The framework. The framework. And the last piece is the ending or the closure or the summary, whatever you want to call it. And this is probably the most overlooked component of a lesson. Especially when you're bad at pacing, yeah. like I was, <laughs> yeah. and you run out of time, right. and you're still trying to ram up the last couple of notes mm-hmm. after the bell's ringing and the kids have been there for 30 seconds past time. Right. And most teachers panic when they hear the tone or the bell that marks the end of time. But that's all it does. The teacher decides when to dismiss the class. Now, I've done this virtually in every school that I've worked or had teachers working in where I tell them, especially first-year teachers, you do not have to let the students go when the bell rings or when the tone sounds. They have plenty of time to get to their next class. I have walked the building. I know. So right. You can't keep them really long, but no. you, know, it, you can finish it your have to thought. Be that instant, right? You exactly. can finish your idea. You can finish the assignment. You can finish giving the homework, whatever it is you need to do, and then let them go. There is extra time built into every hall passage. So what do you do in the end or the ending or the closure? The best thing to do is a summary of the lesson objectives. What is it that they were supposed to learn? Not what they did, but what were they supposed to learn? If you're crunched for time, then the teacher does the summary. Okay, today you were to learn blank. If you have a little bit extra time, then the best way to do it is let the students do the summary. What was the objective for today? Who can explain, who can answer, who can describe the objective? What are the three most important things that we covered or something like that? What I like to see is for a teacher to call on a number of students, okay? It builds in student interaction. And the worst thing that can happen is they get to hear the correct answer four or five or six different times. It's a good way to learn. And it's an expectation you're building. Mm -hmm. The first couple times you try this, nobody's going to want to talk or say anything, and they're just going to wait for the bell to ring. Mm -hmm. But if if they understand that every single time at the end of class you're going to say, all right, here we go, and you're going to call on people randomly, then they're going to expect to have something prepared. Even yeah. if it, you know, even for people that have trouble paying attention, they're going to know, I better have a nugget here written down in case I get called on. 
<laughs> and you know what? You're exactly right. And they do start taking notes. They start remembering things, and, and it does pay off. But it's also a, a way for the teacher to know if they've accomplished the lesson. In other words, if no one can summarize the lesson then tomorrow, then we do it again differently. In another way, teachers sometimes have the students do a journal or an exit slip where they write down the objective and the answer for the objective. So there are a lot of different ways of of giving the students meaningful work that keeps them going to the end of the class period. And a summary is a way that you can extend the learning to meet the deadline of the class period. And I would agree. I would think that if you can't come up with the beginning and the end to the lesson, then you're really not segmenting it well. Right. You're just sort of saying the entire school year is one giant, long, run-on sentence. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to start up immediately into the middle of that <laughs> sentence and then leave in the middle of the sentence. You can't just summarize and say, well, here's some of the random stuff we talked about today. There had to be a point. There had to be organization. And it really shows that you've put together a lesson as opposed to here's the first 14 pages of the textbook we covered. And it hangs together for the student. That's how they see it. For a lot of students, school is a series of segments that don't hang together. They're just out there in three-dimensional space, and they're lucky they can draw a line between them and create a happy pace for something. But the reality of it is we want teaching to be seen as a continuous thought, a seamless idea that the child builds upon and, and networks to other ideas. If it's not presented that way, most of them never make the connection. So a good lesson has a a beginning, which gets them going. The the middle is where the teacher gives the objectives for the lesson. In other words, what it is that the students are supposed to learn. And the important thing about that is that is also the summary. Now, i got to tell you, I'm on to you because what you're doing now is you're summarizing. That's right. Right. You actually went back and you are demonstrating by example everything that we've just gone through. The other part of this is every test question would be referenced back to a class objective, which would have been covered not only during the the lesson itself, but also during the summary. So if the child's having a problem on the test, then it might be that they're not doing well in class because either they're not taking the notes correctly or they're whatever. But it's easy to diagnose a problem that way. And you would never get that answer, well, you never taught this, or we never covered this. That's right, because it's there, and you can verify it. But it also makes it easy for the student to learn. This is all you have to learn. This is what you're supposed to learn, and I'm going to teach it. You're going to be involved with the learning, and then I'm going to assess if you did learn it. We're going to repeat it, and then we'll see if you know it. Well, that's a very conscious way of organizing instruction Mm -hmm. where you say these are the objectives, and I'm not just going to make up objectives because let's say that my objective for today was to cover photosynthesis. Well, I'm not just going to throw up on the board. Students will be able to understand photosynthesis. Because you're actually starting with the objectives. You're coming up with a plan based on that. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is the essential part that I don't think really very clicked with me, is your assessments are based directly on the objectives exactly. that you put up on the board. It's all melted together rather than just this random, well, these are the three pages we got to do today. The objectives come from the curriculum. The objectives are the test. If they learn all the objectives, perfect on the test. That makes good sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can say it any better than that, so we better just go on a high note. Okay, well, let's all go to the faculty lounge. <laughs> all right, we'll see you there. Do you have a question that you would like us to answer on a future podcast? Our experts are standing by. Email us today at newteacherhotline at gmail.com. The New Teacher Hotline is presented every two weeks by the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. Look us up online at www.abcte.org. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the American Board for Certification of Teacher Excellence. In fact, ABCTE makes no claim that downloading this podcast will even be worth your time. But, you know, we, we hope it is. Our theme song is courtesy of Van Davis at www.vandavis.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>